When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I am your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I do a lot of research for this show. Uh, with me, as always, and on the diametric opposite side of that equation, we've got someone who doesn't do any research, someone who does not care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's Kristen Studdard. Hi, Kristen. Hi, coming in hot with just gut feelings and opinions. There it is. And I wanted to reestablish, you know, I haven't brought up the research thing in a while, and I felt like it was appropriate to do so because we are back doing our regular episodes where we cover (laughs) artists and I do a lot of research. And then you come in uh, having not done that. And I just, I guess I don't want our audience to get mad at you. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes they do, and also I don't care. <laughs> right. You're the voice of the people, though, which we've we've yeah. established. The idea is that the entry into any episode is through you. If you are coming into this without any knowledge, the questions you're asking are the questions our listeners are asking. Ta-da! So uh, let's go ahead and bring in our special guest for this episode. Very excited to have him. He is a music journalist, an author, a scholar, Let's welcome to the show, Craig Seymour. Hi, Craig. Hey, how are you? We are great. Thank you so much for joining us. No uh, problem. You are the first guest as we, we had a long period of spinning our wheels as the pandemic started and we didn't know and the induction ceremony had been delayed. So we are back to doing regular episodes. And so thank you for being our first guest as we're back to business as usual. First thing... I have to ask is, you know, you, you write about music. What is your level of familiarity with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in general? Uh, nothing, at, you know, except that it pops up on my HBO program guide once a year. <laughs> right. My man. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I mean, I pay attention with the rounds. And I guess, how long has it been since the rounds were public? I guess it's been like a bit of part of... Oh, it's so. yeah. You mean the uh, like the ballot? Well, people could actually vote. Yeah, that wasn't so, the way it was initially, right? Oh, yeah. So there's the online, like the fan vote, and that's been going on for like eight years or so. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I think that has pulled me a little bit more into it, just because there's this sort of more conversation about it then. Yeah. But um, I would say, as a black person, as a black music critic, you know, I always look at any sort of awards you know especially with the word rock in front of it but Mm -hmm. any sort of kind of awards type of thing like that always with a little bit of ambivalence you know I feel that certainly um, people deserve to be recognized but at the same time just my um, you know being a 52 year old black man just my cynicism about whether or not people do actually get the recognition that they deserve you know I think that that often doesn't happen so therefore I guess I just have a bit of detachment from that whole process, you know, because 
if you care, you get kind of mad about it and uh-huh. you, know, you get hurt about it and everything like that. If you don't care, then it's just kind of like, whatever, that's just what happens. And then you just go on with your life. And I think chosen to do the latter. Yeah, that's probably a healthier way to protect your heart. It's not <laughs> yeah. worth it. These people are never going to do right by anybody. Same thing with themselves. like Grammy album of the year, you know, <laughs> things like that. And yeah, I would say that the Grammys it hurts even more because it's so it's specific to the releases, and when you fuck it up, it's permanent. Like yeah, that's true. That's if you if you don't give an album album of the year, it's never gonna win. Whereas you know the the shred of hope with the Rock Hall is if someone snubbed, well maybe next year. That's a good point. Like Lemonade will never be album of the year, you know. That just but yeah can't happen. Yeah, it's, it's a, I still can't. What was it? That, what one? Forgot. I think it was Adele. It was Adele. It was Adele. And she, she did, did said a very this speech. should yeah. be Beyonce. Oh, yeah, okay. she understood. I'm like, <laughs> and she mentioned that's... all her black friends. Like all her black friends would have really been mad at her had yeah. she not mentioned Beyonce. For sure. Oh. You know, obviously Beyonce. I think will get. In. When is she um, eligible? Oh gosh, Beyonce is probably eligible for the Rock Hall in 2029. Maybe? I mean, do the girls' time recordings count as, like, her first recordings? Like with the- Destiny's Child? No, girls' time was her band before Destiny's Child. Yeah. Was their original. <laughs> but they never actually record. They recorded an album, but they- it was never released. So oh, I don't know okay. If that so then count. that's probably not going to Yeah, count. so then... Um, Un- unless, it was, unless it was credited to Beyonce then it doesn't count because there's right. a lot of there's a lot of semantic stuff which we so will there are get a lot of in. people in there that are in there multiple times because like stevie nicks right yeah exactly if you're in a group and then solo those uh, are considered to be separate yeah is it's Diana Ross in more than once she is not although i think she is a better candidate than stevie nicks because i think her i would Shade. say yeah i mean <laughs> Not, not that I want to compare them, but there's only one woman who's in twice, and it's Stevie. And I think when you look at Diana Ross's solo career, I just think it's a little more substantial than Stevie's was. I would agree. I would agree. But, you know, we would like to see many women inducted Let's more than just once. Do, I mean, gosh. There's Why, so we don't have to pick <laughs> just one or have to pick one It doesn't have to be just one or the other. It could really well, that's all. what Janet said, wasn't it? That she just yeah. wanted more. I think when Janet Jackson gave her acceptance speech, she was yeah. really just like... Mm-hmm. Oh Let's yeah, and you know what? they heard her, and that's why this year there were so many women inducted. That's just why there were. It was just a multitude. They said, "Janet, we hear you, we respect you, we see you, and we're going to do what you and Steve Miller have both asked, and we're going to induct more women into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame." And that is why Whitney is the only woman who got in this year. Or wait, is there was there some another no. woman? Someone? No, that's it. No, that's no, right. no women hiding anywhere. No binders of women. No, no I mean that's a, that's that's a situation where I actually would, I would pr- prefer a binder of, of women. <laughs> Joe could actually prepare several binders of women Easily. and hand them to them. I could prepare a binder of women. Easy, no problem. No Let's problem at all. But th- thinking about the Grammys and the Rock Hall, I think one of the things that's kind of disappointing and frustrating about it is you can't start a new one. Like you, we are kind of we are stuck with what has been established because you can't reestablish something that's been a- around for so long. Although, Essentially, go ahead. Drake, 
Drake just put out a whole bunch of tweets about the Grammys and he was like, this is why the Grammys are whack and we should start something new that's that actually matters and blah, blah, blah. And it's not, it'll never, it's yeah. because an institution is an institution for a reason. Exactly. A reason. It's like the Rolling and, Stone cover. The Rolling Stone cover is going to be the Rolling Stone cover even though nobody even buys the magazine. You know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. Still, yeah. It's, you, it's, one of it's impossible to you can't artificially create history, right? Yeah. And so when, when something has been established for so long, it de facto just has the credibility regardless of if it actually has it. And the, the Grammys for a long time has been fucking stupid. And, but we, that's just what, is, that's the one we have. That's the music awards we have. And there's, there's really nothing you can do, even though there are, and there's like a thousand other award shows that have tried, whether it's the Billboard Awards or it's this or that. The Grammys. Poppies. Yeah. yeah. I bet that. too, if you go to over anybody's house, the Grammys are going to be on front of the AMAs and, and yeah. the uh -huh. AMAs are going to be in front of the Billboard Awards. And then yeah. those are going to be in front of the People Choice Awards. You're, you're, yeah. there's, absolutely, there's a hierarchy. <laughs> it's like your Oscar goes in front of your Golden Globe. Yeah, you know? exactly, like, exactly. Uh, well, let's go ahead and let's let's talk about LaBelle. So I was uh, I really wanted to cover LaBelle on the show because I think they're a big rock hall snub and I think they're an interesting group. And uh, I saw so what I usually do is I, I try to go online and, and dig around, see if I can find somebody who's written about LaBelle. Uh, who has covered them, who seems to be a fan. And I was just kind of tinkering around, didn't necessarily find anybody. And truly the next day it was announced the new slate of 33 and a third <laughs> album books. And one of them was LaBelle's Nightbirds by Craig. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. And oh, it, wow. it was truly Stars the next aligned. day. And yeah, yeah I, I was very uh, excited to suddenly have someone who is thinking about LaBelle and considering them and is a fan. So I would love to know what LaBelle means to you. Oh God, um, LaBelle has just always meant to me. Well, um, just, I've already mentioned my age. So, I mean, I guess the first LaBelle album that I came, um, that I was familiar with was the Nightbirds album. That's the one with Lady Marmalade about on it. And I mean, I probably was, I was like 74. So I was like, I don't know, six and seven-ish range. Mm -hmm. So it was an album that was just always around, you know, like my parents had one. It was at my aunt's house or uncle's house, you know, and it was just so exciting seeing these three black women in these kind of space uniforms and I mean these space outfits and I think it just it was a culmination of so many of my interests like especially when I would see them on Soul Train or on the Share show or something because I was into superheroes I was into Wonder Woman and all this kind of stuff and here LaBella basically dressed like superheroes you know in their outrageous silver outfits with wings and all sorts of craziness so it really spoke to my six-year-old sensibilities <laughs> and then um yeah. just, i love that too it's like i like the music but i really like the outfits you know yeah, it's just I, all together really and the sound you know they just made such a powerful sound and i think that i'm gay by the way so i think <laughs> that you know when you grow up and you know maybe there's something different about yourself, uh, maybe something different than just kind of the masculine norm, you sort of search for other forms of power. And I just think the vocal power that LaBelle produced and the sort of energy that they gave off was very attractive to me as a sort of, um, you know, just sort of an alternate way of being in the world. 
there was a long period of time, if you go through LaBelle's recording history, they were on a lot of different labels. Mm-hmm. So there was this period of time when basically you couldn't get like the first three LaBelle albums. If you found them in like an old record shop or something, they were like $50 to $100 each. So there was oh, wow. a whole period Whoa. during the 80s when basically LaBelle was Nightbirds and maybe I think Chameleon never went out of print, but basically everything else was out of print. And that stayed the same way through most of the 90s, through the CD re-releases and stuff. When a lot of people rediscovered a lot of older music, most of the LaBelle albums still were not re-released. It wasn't until like the early 2000s or maybe the very, I think it was definitely the early 2000s that their very earliest recordings came out and you could sort of get access to the complete LaBelle and really see the trajectory of their um, artistic journey. And I think... The more I learned about them over time, the more I really had an appreciation for that journey and how that paralleled so many strains in both American popular music, but also in terms of American history, in terms of the fact of you take them from being a quote-unquote girl group in the 60s, where they all sort of wore the same hair and same kind of, you know, nice dresses, and they were sort of the model of Black respectability. And then all of a sudden you get into the 70s when they're wearing like this, these denim outfits and, you know, crazy hair and everything. singing about ladies of the night. Yeah, and singing about revolution and all this kind of stuff, which was very much kind of parallel to sort of the Black power movement and a lot of the Black feminist movements of the 70s. So I just think they are, the more you look into LaBelle, the more resonant they become with a lot of strains within our um, culture. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of connecting to what we had talked about prior with solo artists and the different names of groups. Patti LaBelle went through, and her group went through so many different names, starting like way back to like the late 50s with, I think the Ordettes was the name yeah, of the group. Yeah, what yeah. Is she, I mean, they could have been called the LaBelles from the beginning. That's like a very the Well, what they were, the. they went from the Ordettes and then they were Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells. And so Patty LaBelle is just her stage name. That is her. Yeah. Yeah. She's okay. born Patty Holt. Oh. Spelled L A capital B E L L E. But when you're talking about band, it's without the capital. With no okay. capital. Okay. Right. Distinction you can really tell if you really know your LaBelle people. I can always tell. <laughs> you're <laughs> but texting that, a but that capitalization person, thing. They'll let you know. So when I think of LaBelle, I think of Patti LaBelle's career as well as being an extension of that. But So we're just only discussing LaBelle as their merit as a group. Straight. Right. So th- yeah. Slash Patti LaBelle. Ba- based on the way the hall divides things, you wouldn't lump in Patty's solo career into her career as with a group because those are separate entities really they're it's separate styles of music even yeah you know, there's definitely very a, much so it's a distinct much, so, much much more so than even um Rufus and Shock and Shock yeah like you can play I'm every woman and I don't know Master Dam or you know something or like ain't nobody it's the same and, styles yeah. of music yeah. it's like she the solo stuff becomes a little bit more refined, a little bit more jazz oriented, a little bit more experimental. But, you know, you could put them both on in the same party. Mm-hmm. Whereas like LaBelle stuff is just really aggressive and really hard hitting and everything. And Patty, there was a part of her that always loved just your traditional soul ballads and everything like that. And that's really much more um, where her career went. The trios, Patty LaBelle, Nona Hendrix and Sarah Dash, 
and Nona Hendrix was the main lyricist and songwriter. And she had a long solo career after that too. I think there's much more similarity between Nona's solo music and the music LaBelle made than there is with LaBelle and the music, with Patty, Patty and made, the music yeah. LaBelle made, mm-hmm. or with Sarah Dash, who went more into kind of a straight up disco direction. And then adding on to that, their career, like you said, their career beforehand was almost like the Supremes. In the in the sixties, they're but not popular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but without the popularity. <laughs> and there was even a little bit of a rivalry between the the Bluebells and the Supremes back in that day. Patty will talk about how she believes Diana saw what they were wearing and then copped their dresses and then wore it on TV before they did, so it looked like they were copying the Supremes. I think yeah. it'd probably be hard to. I think you know you could almost write a book, or I guess it wouldn't be a book, but of the people that Diana Ross didn't have a rivalry with <laughs> that she crossed paths with. I think that's pretty much just like a thing. But, um, and then of course the big thing that, you know, I guess they would accuse Diana Ross and the Supremes of doing was when they were Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells, they were a foursome, which included Cindy Birdsong. But when Florence Ballard left the Supremes, they took Cindy Birdsong away from the Bluebells, <laughs> stole the member and you know, went on being the Supreme. So they were really, I think they were probably much madder about that than they were about yeah, the, 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 dresses, know, the stolen outfits. Yeah, and that the they dresses. stole one of their yeah, also, members. Also, the names, I mean, these are some definite singer names. Birdsong, yeah. that's, I mean, you want to steal her. You want her in your, you want her in your <laughs> right. girl group. But the interesting thing about it, you know, there's always this thing, I think, with things like the Rock Hall, where you start talking about influence and you think about like influence in turn, like, you know, like a group like the Velvet Underground that didn't sell a lot of records, but everybody that bought the record, made a band Start or something band, like yeah. that. So the influence yeah. is that way. And, you know, for Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells didn't really have a lot of hit records, but they performed so, they were called the Sweethearts of the Apollo, even though they're from Philadelphia, but they played the Apollo so much that they were called the Sweethearts of the Apollo. And they would just belt out these, you know, show tunes, like you'll never walk alone and all this kind of stuff. And Luther Vandross, the, the singer, well, so probably you'll never get into the Rock Hall. But anyway, <laughs> Luther Vandross would often go see them. And he, t- which he told me about that he would love it because they would sing so loud that he would act- they would actually make the microphones buzz. He later came to realize that that wasn't a good thing. That wasn't really what was supposed to happen. <laughs> right. But they sang so loudly that they would make the microphones buzz. And he became the first member of their fan club. And he was so influenced by their sound. So even in that carnage, you know, carnation of the group, they had influence on a major figure. And that's also when they started developing, one of the things that that was distinctive about them in the 70s is they had this huge gay following. And Mm -hmm. that really started when they would play the Apollo because Sarah Dash says that on Wednesday nights, a lot of the gay crowd and um, a lot of drag queens and stuff would come to the Apollo. And they said that Wednesday night, they knew that they had to sing (laughs) and they had to look right. And they really had to throw down because they knew that's when, you know, the gays and the drag queens were coming and everything they expected to, you know, really get a show. Yeah, and so there, let's track their transition into LaBelle, the group, because they were, like you said, not certainly not as popular as the, as the Supremes. They had a few minor hits, but they were struggling. And it wasn't until a, a promoter in Britain, uh, Vicky Wickham, kind of got a hold of them and said, like, we got to change. What Cindy. a British name. Vicky Wickham. Vicky Wickham. Wickham. Yeah. 
Hello, it's me, Vicky Wickham. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've heard your song. You girls sound so great. I've spoken to her a couple of times. It kind of does sound like that. But yeah, basically, they had done, you know, as was typical, a lot of Black music was more popular overseas than it was here. So LaBelle had played, I think the show was called Ready, Steady, Go. Mm -hmm. They had done this show in um, Britain, and Vicky Wickham was one of the producers there. So and they just and she also um, represented Dusty Springfield. So you know they just all hit it off and I don't know did whatever they did. And so when they were looking for new management, they reached out to Vicky, and she just had this vision. She just said that she wanted three black women who could go out there like the white boys, you know, and just rock out and be three individuals and say what they wanted to say and not care about what people thought about them or how they looked. And she even demanded, she, she told them, you know, you're going to go out there and you're going to be treated like a white rock group. She later realized that she was completely crazy. Like if she knew <laughs> anything about race yeah. relations and, uh -huh. in the States and about, you know, like genre formats and all of that kind of stuff. If she yeah, had any cool. idea about how things were so segregated in the state, she probably would have never had that vision. But that's the vision that she had. And she basically brought all of them over to London and they went through... I don't know, like rock boot camp where they <laughs> threw away all the Cole Porter songs and Nona started writing songs and, you know, they got all the denim outfits and they just really did that rock thing because Vicky was, um, she had connections with The Who and just all that, the whole British right. rock scene at the time. And this is the era of like glam rock with David Bowie exactly. and Rex. Exactly, and, yeah. So having that kind of glamorous mm -hmm. look to it became so oh, This was a little bit earlier because their first look was just, just that kind of rock denim and that was like 70 71 72 that was that it was what happened when they got that really glam sort of space look the thing that appealed to me so much as a six-year-old is that one of their gay fans who was a costume designer went to one of their shows i think one of the like small new york clubs and was just kind of like you know you all got to get it together you just can't come out here <laughs> this denim. denim is not it yeah exactly <laughs> what he was saying is he was saying that their songs were so about thinking of a better day and they were so such about like causing revolution and stuff and he would say his name was larry legaspi and he said that you know they sang songs that kind of envisioned this future so they should look like the types of songs that they sang and so mm -hmm. then he started creating these crazy outfits for them that they didn't start off the silver things that kind of they started off one way and then they sort of evolved into the space suits and that's how that kind of came along that came from the fans you know, telling them they need oh, to basically upgrade their look essentially and I'm then he went on dive. to develop a costume for kiss and for parliament funkadelic and everything like that after he had worked with them Right, so Lavelle is like the the secret influence on what we associate with, you know, bands like Kiss, who ha who yeah. you know we think of as breaking down the doors of like having insane theatrics. But if if you trace it back to, starts with Lavelle. Also, these Bluebells album covers. Wow, <laughs> we are really in a different era. There is some real respectable young ladies on yeah. the cover. Very much. And cardigans. Yeah. The girl group movement was definitely part of that strain of sort of Black political culture that kind of 
about you know assimilationists fitting in and everything like that. I mean, you can literally see it. They look exactly the same. Sometimes when I look at Bluebell photos, I have to just kind of squint just to even tell who's different, even for as many times as I've seen them, because they do look so identical and so respectable and ladylike. But that was the thing that Vicky had the foresight, the craziness, the whatever, to just completely blow up. And, you know, when they came here, back here, they really weren't accepted by anybody. Because, <laughs> like, you know, Black people were like, what are you doing? What is this craziness? You know, like, are you, you're not dressing up. You're not, like, what is this? And white fans, as rock was being constructed then as a white sort of genre, they didn't want to hear three Black women screaming about revolution at them, you know what I mean? Wearing denim or not. And yeah. so they just really, could, the only audience they really could find initially were these, you know, the hip crowd in New York. And there would be all these articles written like, will the hip label ever go national? You know, will <laughs> all these kind of <laughs> articles about those kind of groups that are cool in New York, but like fail everywhere else. Yeah, too and, hip um, for the rest of the country. Yeah, so that's kind of what they were. In Interview Magazine, I think in the very early 70s called them like the band of the decade and just all of this stuff, all of this great New York press. Literally, <laughs> like when they went on tour, nobody got what they were doing. It wasn't the kind of thing where they were like big in the black community and, you know, rock people rejected. It's like everybody rejected them. They couldn't go on the radio. They couldn't do anything. They just had a really passionate following in New York. So much so that they played these small clubs and they started playing the Continental Baths which Bette Midler also played. Yeah, speaking of their gay fans must have well, really, exactly. like, were the um, the thing that kind of kept them going, it sounds yeah. like, for a few years before they broke through. It doesn't get gayer as a venue than a bathhouse. Than a bathhouse. In, <laughs> in the 1970s in New York City, yeah, hmm. there's really nothing. I mean, I remember that, uh, the Bette Midler, like, bathhouse album that she did. Yeah. And stuff. Like, so, you know, they were making money and doing these big shows in New York and even theaters and stuff along with the costumes doing crazy things like being lifted down from the ceiling and you know just all these theatrical things but they just did not have a hit record until 1975 when Lady Marmalade finally broke through and the way they talk about it that was kind of a lesson that was their fourth album as LaBelle I so it's that... like they had been they had taken the chance on this crazy thing to blow up their whole everything that they had built in terms of being Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells, which was a whole period of time, they had completely changed themselves and were having no success <laughs> and, you know, were riding that wave. So it was really at that point of kind of like, hey, either this is going to work or we just need to do something else because nobody seems to be getting three Black women in spacesuits singing about, you know, <laughs> social change, you know, just yeah. not connecting. I was just looking at the cover of 1971 LaBelle, the self-titled album. That's that denim look, you know, <laughs> kind of like all three of them. It's a kind of like denim bell-bottom action on these little, like, uh, what do you call them? The rings? Like, some, like uh, gymnastic-y like type some, thing, something. Some men's yeah. gymnastic <laughs> rings, like the... the <laughs> But it's, you can imagine, like, if you were buying, if that was sitting next to, like, a traditional Diana Ross and the Supremes album, how weird that would look, you know, it's yeah. like, what is that, you know? So, yeah, it was really, I mean, just think about the trajectory of, I mean, you know, you both are creative people and everything, and how much time you give an idea to take off before you kind of pivot and go, you know what? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah Am I in the wrong here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so, I, you know, it, it's really one of those great stories in that they did have that 
big breakthrough where they finally were able to have success with this new vision of themselves. And we wouldn't even be talking about them now had they not broken through with Lady Marmalade, but it was kind of a mixed feeling because they had done, these earlier songs were all about social change and they did like Gil Scott Heron's The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. The Revolution! So they were very political. And then they kind of break through with this song about um, a sex worker, which yeah. which was fine, you know, and they, they understood that as being feminist and being sort of a revolutionary act in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it still was a rebellious statement in the topic than it was in terms of the content of the song, I guess, yes. would, right. be yes. the, um, mm-hmm. would be the distinction. Right. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's on the record that uh, Patty did not necessarily know what, at, at the very least, what the French words were that she was singing. The content was escaped her a little bit. Who wrote yeah. the song? Uh, it was Bob Crew, is that the guy's name? Uh huh. And it had been recorded by a um, group called The 11th Hour. Which, and so they yeah. heard the song and basically they had signed to Epic Records. Um, they'd been to three record labels. The first was Warner Brothers, then it was RCA, and then it was Epic, which, and this was like the last chance label. And they were sent to work with Alan Tucson in New Orleans because he had just had a hit with the Pointer Sisters. So I guess they, somebody, some A&R person were like, you know, we had the hit with these black women. Maybe we send another <laughs> group of black women down there. Good work. We'll also get a hit, you know. And... He wrote a lot of the songs for them. Nona brought some songs, but one of the songs that they had heard just when they were hanging out with Bob Crew was Lady Marmalade, and that was one of the songs they brought to the table with them. Yeah, Bob Crew had written a lot of songs for the Four Seasons. He actually inducted the Four Seasons when they went into the Rock Hall in 1990. Huh. Oh, wow. So, like, he wrote Big Girls Don't Cry. So he had been an established songwriter. It feels like a departure it when you really, think about those and Lady yeah. Marmalade. <laughs> what got into him? But was I think I think or something. Or yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and it was co-written with a guy named Kenny Nolan. What is the eleventh hour version like? And what's the eleventh hour? Who are they? I've heard it maybe a dozen times. It's mm-hmm. just, just just a sort of straightforward. It's a guy singing, and I think and it's that no guy Kenny Nolan. To- it's yeah, the, the, the songwriter. No the soul sister. It's just like I this mean, rock. Good God, I hope not. <laughs> it's just this rock. Right, right. No, it's just this rock song about this story about this, you know, Creole um, sex worker. It's just, it's just not very. It doesn't remarkable. have as much as much like soul and like. I obviously, mean, I it's just a little more straightforward. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think makes the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame so frustrating for people is that they don't say why an artist gets in or why they don't. There's really no list of, of categories for yeah. induction. But because uh, I'm a nerd and that's the kind of foundation of this podcast, I've come up with a list of categories that I think if you do well enough in, you have a good case for induction. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll see how LaBelle stacks up. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Welcome back, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you uh, something that you were waiting to be delivered came. Yeah, I also, and I hope that you maybe uh, discuss the merits, the only merit of Facebook, which is Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> that's our, this is, that's our uh, uh, integrated ad for Facebook. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, let's go through these categories with LaBelle. Uh, first off, uh, just for some background, LaBelle became eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. Okay. They have never been on a ballot. The only connection that I can find is that when the songwriters Gamble and Huff were inducted in 2008, Patti LaBelle sang If You Don't Know Me By Now at the ceremony. All right, let's go through these categories. Now, we are returning to the categories after a long break, Kristen, as you know. Now, is, your, is it still on your envelope, or did you rewrite them down again? I've rewritten them onto an yeah. index card. Oh. And one of the reasons I rewrote them is because I'm changing the order. Okay, let's see if I remember or can tell. All right. So, first up, and I, I think this is, I put this first just because I think it's the thing we naturally want to talk about first, which is iconic, recognizable songs. Now, this is good. This is a good rearrangement because we went from album, it used to go albums into songs, and now it's going to be songs into albums. I think I like when you're, when you start with kind of a, a wider, like, what are the merits for, like, what does everybody know from this artist? And I think that's a good measurement. Now, we've, it's come up a bunch already, but I think the big, obviously iconic song is Lady Marmalade. as big of a song as you can get now after that song though it's a it's a significant drop in terms of what people the average person not a labelle fan would know i don't think the average person (laughs) that wasn't a labelle fan would know any of them Um, even people that are fans of patty labelle what labelle did as a trio was just so separate so not ahead of its time but time but just like a different sort of thing that wasn't really continued so there's no you know i mean there was no format that was that ever evolved after labelle was out that you could suddenly drop a labelle album track into i mean there were certain songs certain ballads like isn't it a shame often played in quiet storm rotations during the 80s but yeah I mean LaBelle really created a sound that was so different that it sort of exists on its own yeah and I think that is probably a hurdle for them in terms of induction if they had had one or two other songs that were big and everybody knows I mean you could make the claim it would be unjust but you can make the claim that LaBelle is a one-hit wonder just 
from statistics because yeah, yeah. they had a song that went to number one and then the next biggest hit like what can i do for you went to number 48 <laughs> And then after that, they don't really have anything that charts. Like you mentioned, Is It in a Shame went to number 18 on the R&B charts. Yeah. Uh, Messing With My Mind went to number 19 on the R&B charts. But in terms of like straight billboard, there just isn't much of an impact there. That but is true. Let's yes. <laughs> I don't know. What I, <laughs> I know. It, and but let's let's transition now to talking about classic albums. Now, you are writing a thirty-three and a third on Nightbirds, which is is the album. That's the one that has Lady Marmalade on it, and that is the album that is considered by many to be their definitively classic album. I would assume was an obvious choice for you if you were yeah. to pick a LaBelle album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to write a book on an album nobody knows. So you know, even though I'm very, uh-huh. <laughs> I love their entire catalog, just thinking about, um, you know, I was, I really, I, I, there's something about Phoenix, which is the album that follows Nightbirds that that I really love because it really shows their ambition. It's like the first song has like different parts to it and everything in it, but you know, obviously. Nightbirds is the one with the hit. And Nightbirds is fantastic. I mean, you know, Nightbirds has everything that they do. They do it really, really well on Nightbirds. And they do it really, really in a span of time that fits most music listeners' attention spans. Because, like, on the first two albums, it was nothing to have songs that were, like, nine minutes long or 11 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And um, Which, that's an interesting artistic choice. Yes. But it doesn't really fit format wise so um and so i mean it's real and you know nona's lyrics could be can be more sometimes more esoteric than at other times so it's like nightbirds is like just the streamlined version of everything that they did it's just a perfect album in that way even though you know if you are really into them and you appreciate some of their sort of excesses, I guess would be one way to put it, <laughs> then some of the other albums kind of, um, some of the other albums have more of those type of moments. But Nightbirds is really, so I, you know, I, I think it's just that weird thing. It's like, do you think, is it best when some, when a person is able to communicate what they do to a mass audience? Or is it the best example of their artistry when they communicate that to the people that really get what they're doing. I don't know. I think that's a question everybody kind of grapples with. You know? Right. In those times, those rare times wh- when they overlap. You know? Yeah. And whichever category you fall into, you think is the one. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that's true. You're too. like, my music is only for those who get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Nightbirds, that, that's, that's the big one. Now, this, this is kind of our link from this category to the next one, which is critical acclaim, which is, do you guys think, uh, Craig, you might already know this, but do you guys think Nightbirds is on the list of Rolling Stone's top 500 albums? And this is our first time doing this since they have updated the list. So really we have two lists to 
to I don't know, but I actually don't know because that's another thing that I don't pay attention to. And since I wasn't <laughs> asked, <laughs> right? I'll screw them. But, no, but, yeah, but um, I would think so. And I think for 500 albums, I would think so. Kristen, what do you think? Is Nightbirds on either of Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums list? Okay, now here's the thing. I used to be really good at the old list, and now the list is new, and it's more interesting, and it's more diverse than ever, which I, I would have said absolutely not prior. Mm-hmm. But now I wonder because things have, you know, the times are changing. I think if it's in it, it's like last 25. Okay. That's what I think. And I would agree with that too, that I would think it would be like 496 or something. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Now, in the old list, Nightbirds comes in at 274. This is outrageous. What the fuck? Right in the middle, 274. I can't believe that. Okay. And in the new list, it is not on there. What? Wow. My is, guessing mojo is completely gone. What has I, happened? You've I mean, I used to get usually within five. It would be, yeah, which is really uh, It would be freaky how surprising. often I would get close. And this, this just lets me know that I don't know anything anymore, that this brave new world is scary for us all. Well, you know, the thing that makes sense to me um, is that LaBelle actually they were on a Rolling Stone cover in, I think, in 75. So I can easily see that first list mm-hmm. and just knowing Rolling Stone, the kind of institution that they are, that they would kind of be trying to cover their ass and make sure that a lot of people that they had put on the Rolling Stone cover were in some way represented within this list. You know, because there's mm-hmm. like the list that people vote on and then it's kind of like the editorializing of the list uh, that they yeah, go back sure. through. Right. And so I think that that would make sense to me. And then at this point, they probably say, oh, well, there are enough, I don't know, other black people on there, enough women, so we can let them go. And nobody remembers the seventies anyway. I had never thought about that as far as like the covers mattering. I, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't Cause they can't put, you know, Bob Dylan in there more than they already have. But he's definitely gonna but be he, in there. He's gonna you be know in there I mean? and he's gonna be in there probably as many covers as he has though. Cause now that I really think about it, it's like how many Bruce Springsteen albums are in there? How many Jim, how many Doors albums are in there? How many times has Jim Morrison been on the cover? You know? Well, and speak- so many people have been on the cover multiple times that you definitely could, I don't even know how many covers there have been, but I mean, and then some of the covers are like actors and stuff. So it's like, yeah, you probably like can easily represent every single musician that's been on a Rolling Stone cover with some album. So I'm thinking, I don't know, I, I don't know, that makes sense to me why it would be on an earlier list, just them trying to represent, just in them going through and making sure that they've um, checked all the boxes, seeing who they put on covers and being like, oh, wait a minute, we put this person on the cover in 74, we have to have that <laughs> album in here somewhere, you know? Yeah, it's, it, or if you just believe that it truly is a tally of the votes, then there is no... no I'll, I'll no. never believe that. But you'll never believe that? <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Well, speaking of the covers, uh, it is noteworthy that LaBelle is the first Black vocal group to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah. Really? In what year was that? 75? That yeah. would make sense, because that would have been like full Lady Marmalade fever. Well, yeah, well, talking about Rolling Stone, the next category is critical acclaim. And I think, I think LaBelle does well. I think LaBelle was a, uh, you know, uh, 
we talk about them not necessarily being a challenging band at times and artistic. And I think that was something that critics embraced. Yeah, they, I mean, they really, they had consistent critical claim from the very beginning because they were accepted in New York and all the media you know, yeah. was basically in New York. I mean, every, I mean, I think they got good reviews on every single one of their albums in Rolling Stone and everything, you know, every now and then somebody would write something like, I don't know, Patti LaBelle is too loud or the nerve. racist, like, <laughs> oh, I think they should be doing a different type of music. These rock guitars don't really go with their voices, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. another way of saying black women mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing rock. But generally, I mean, and I've gone through them all. I mean, most of their reviews were good reviews of all yeah. the albums. Yeah, I think they, I think they, I would not call them critical darlings, but I think they always got pretty consistent, yeah. uh, positive critical acclaim. And then on the flip side, the next category is commercial success. Obviously, Nightbirds was the was the big album. It went gold. Lady Marmalade went to number one. But then there's no other, you know, certifications, gold, silver, whatever, uh, and any of the other albums. Like the albums that came after Nightbirds charted, but kind of barely. Yeah, and it's almost a little bit surprising, especially when you look at Patty's solo career and her commercial success, which is like platinum albums and huge hits and selling millions and millions of records. LaBelle, not so much. Well, I think there are two things with that. I think LaBelle really suffered commercially by being on three different labels mm-hmm. because they really couldn't build on anything yet. The first two albums on Warner Brothers, those flopped. Then you have one album on RCA and then the big hit on Epic. So it wasn't like people, it wasn't like Epic was encouraging people, hey, you should really go back and listen to the early years. That's, that music's yeah. really good because uh-huh. what good is it for them? None, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like they didn't even have that benefit of a, a lot of acts yet when they had that hit. People can go back to the earlier stuff. I think by the time Marmalade hit, I bet you all those other albums were out of print, you know, at a time when you couldn't just go onto Amazon and, you know, like order yeah. a copy of the album. Like I said, when I was getting to the age of like getting really into music, all of those albums were very hard to find and they were extremely expensive. So I think that really works against their, um, you know, being able to even translate the commercial success to build upon the commercial success that they had. I think mm-hmm. because of all those different labels, there was just no, there was really nobody that would benefit from promoting their stuff. And when the albums afterwards didn't do anything, it was just kind of like, they disappeared. And the thing that, the interesting thing about Patty, I mean, she had a long period after LaBelle where she really was not selling. You know, when she, mm-hmm. she didn't really start selling until the mid 80s when she signed with MCA Records. Um, but when she was like on Philadelphia International Records and stuff, those weren't gold or platinum selling records. Those were just kind of R&B hits. So she yeah. had to kind of reinvent herself and then start making that crossover 80s Pointer Sisters-ish sound mm-hmm. before she, you know, started having commercial success. So, right. you and know, it's, I mean, it's really, you're talking about longevity in the business and you're talking about like people who really stuck it out through periods of highs and lows. I mean, you know, Patti LaBelle is definitely up there. Um, Patti LaBelle, who, I mean, you think about that, yeah, from the 60s, like looking at those Bluebells album covers, then all the way through LaBelle, through her solo career, she has really been around, I mean... Yeah, and most of the time, not successful. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's the thing, you know, like we, we understand people being in the business for a long time and they are, are successful and it's still a long, like somebody like Madonna. She's been in it a long time and, you know, she's had her ups and downs, but she's been successful even throughout the challenges. 
most of Patty's, for a good two decades, almost three decades of Patty's career, she was at the lowest level of the entertainment industry, like doing the chitlin circuits, not selling, doing the continental baths, then kind of when she went solo again, having to do the sort of revised chitlin circuits of R&B shows and everything, you know, and not really having that hit until she's kind of like a middle-aged woman. So... And then her background singers didn't even show up at the White House. <laughs> That's like one of the most amazing videos yeah, that this I've Christmas. ever the, the, this, oh. Her performance of This Christmas at the White House in like 1992. It's like the Bill Clinton Christmas uh, thing. Oh, it's so... I Have mean, you not seen it, Craig? Oh, it's I probably truly, have seen it and just forgotten about it. Oh my God. It's iconic and I hope... I hope you've never seen it and that you are about to experience it for the <laughs> first time because it is truly incredible. She is out there alone. She is singing and then she realizes that her back, it's da na 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 And she's vamping and then she's realizing that her background singers aren't there. She's like, where are my background singers? They are not here. They, they show up halfway <laughs> through the song. The cue card person, it's 1992. The cue cards are wrong. I'm gonna get to know you better. I rewatch it every Christmas. Okay, it's, well, I'll have to. That will. That's. Oh, yeah, it's big, big, big recommend from oh, from both of us. Highly uh, we'll recommend. Check that out. You know, oh. we thought Christmas was going to be a little down this year, but that sounds like something it is, to look forward to. It is truly one of the best things that we can do for ourselves this Christmas season is watch this video. Watch that video. Also, have one of her sweet potato pies. Also seasonal. She's she's Maybe a great Patty's Christmas a artist. Christmas artist. She's a great yeah. Christmas artist, I think. Well, we Back were talking. <laughs> well, we were talking about Patty Labelle's longevity. Longevity is the next category, but we we are uh, now evaluating Labelle's longevity. Which, if you include the Bluebells, it's it's pretty long from you know the early '60s. But if we're talking about just Labelle, which you know maybe we have to, we are talking '71 to the last album was 76. So about five years, and really they only hit in Nightbirds was 74. The year before they broke up. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's a short run, especially a short run at the top. But there, it is just a weird thing. I know we talked about Patty as a person. I get the sense that if you were voting, like if LaBelle was on the ballot and people were voting, they couldn't help but be voting for Patty as a person as they vote for LaBelle, the group. Because if you induct LaBelle, the group, you are inducting Patty LaBelle, the person, because she's a member of LaBelle, and you are getting Patty LaBelle into the Rock Hall, you know, regardless of whether it's her solo right. career or not, she gets to be in, in the Rock Hall. So we're talking about like what, um, about five years? I mean, what's the average time that a band really is sort of, um, you know, commercially and artistically What was the word? Viable. The imperial phase. Right. Isn't that the word that, that's yeah, the, the Chris Melanfi yeah. uh, imperial phase. Yeah, I think if you, if you make it to 10, that, that becomes a good Hall of Fame worthy 
level to hit. Right. And then if you hit 20, then it's like you're kind of maxing out. Like if you can do the Madonna thing, if you can do artists like that, that can, and even that's where longevity comes into play with artists that maybe their artistic merits aren't as strong, like maybe say Bon Jovi or the Moody Blues who can have hits over a period of several decades. Right. So they kind of become part of the culture and they're, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an, it's an achievement, you know, regardless if you can sustain a career for a long time, it helps to build the case. Let's move on to a category that I think LaBelle does very well in. And, you know, we've had some not uh, strong categories kind of in a row, but influence. And I think this is where LaBelle shines because, you know, I think whether you're talking about Patty's vocal stylings or you're talking about a, a black female group doing songs about, like you said, revolution or, you know, not being buttoned up, but being liberated. I think that's huge. And that's like a, a turning point in a sense. Yes. I was thinking about that. I mean, there's direct influence and then there's kind of contextual influence. And so when I was thinking about direct influence, like, okay, so what is a band that is like LaBelle or who followed in LaBelle's tradition, I really had a hard time coming up with any of them because LaBelle was so different in terms of like their music didn't really appeal to the mainstream of Black listeners or to rock listeners. So Mm -hmm. the only people I could come up with, like I was thinking of Janelle Monae, but like she really, I don't listen to that much of her music, but her music's not hard to listen to. Like, you know what I mean? It's, It's sort of... So, I mean, I would have to go to people like Solange and like Erica Badu and um, Joy Gilliam, who a lot of people don't know, but should know. And she's actually covered some LaBelle songs. Those are the artists that I think of who really have sort of that LaBelle tendency to go against what people want to hear. And just, I don't care what you want to hear. I'm going to sit here in my denim on these gymnastic hoops or I'm <laughs> wear a silver mohawk. And I'm going to scream in this mic with these loud guitars and I just don't care what you sing. I mean, I, I really, those are what, like only three artists that really came to mind. But in the general context of just being Black women that are kind of freer to just express whatever they want to express and not have to have that diva glam image and everything like that, just in terms of broadening the context of how Black women could present themselves within popular music. I think LaBelle definitely did that. What I'm saying is like, like if you say like the Velvet Underground, you could probably think of like 10 bands that directly kind of tried to musically do their, like what their they sound. were doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or, in it, or the Rolling Stones or whatever. And you just don't have that really with LaBelle. You don't have this long history of women or even men doing this kind of funk rock hybrid wearing spacesuits, singing about Black power, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) You just don't have that, you know? So you don't have this, like, line of people. But if you talk about what they represented in terms of being Black women that were aggressive and, you know, saying what they wanted to say and didn't care what people thought and everything like that, then I would say that they were very influential and there were a lot of people that followed in that lineage. But there's not a direct lineage, I don't think, in terms of the sound. And I think both are valid. 
And and I, I would throw in Patty as a singer. I think her, just as a singer, she's very influential in the the way she sings. Uh, and you know, without LaBelle, you don't have Lady Marmalade, nineteen ninety or two thousand or two thousand or whatever. <laughs> the Moulin Rouge. Yeah, you don't have the Moulin Rouge. You don't have uh, Lady Marmalade two K. You know. <laughs> It's kind of like they became this template for sort of like aggressive sexual expression and just being free. And I think that that's what that the remake picked up on. And the funny thing about that is, you know, you think about that remake and that was kind of another isolated moment, almost like the single and the original single was kind of like a one hit wonder. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. Maya Pink and Christina and Little Kim, Little Kim became the super group, you know. Yeah, <laughs> they were just like rocking out. You know, it was like this one what very a world. I want to live in that moment. timeline where they all were like, "We love collaborating. Let's get yeah. together." Yeah, but that was—I uh, mean, that was a number one hit. So yeah. I, I think it w- if you're talking about influence, there is, you know, the fact that a, a song so many years later, you know, was a, a big hit again is meaningful. Kristen, I've added a new category. And I'm curious what our listeners think and what you guys think. I thought this was, I've alluded to this before and sometimes I've folded it into the other categories, but it's uh, artistry slash skill, which is like with LaBelle, I would say this is where you would go, oh yeah, well, Patti LaBelle is one of the great singers of all time by any measurement. Her talent as a singer is meaningful in the same way that you would maybe induct like a guitar god who doesn't have a lot of songs that everybody knows but their guitar stylings are influential and important and very skillful i think you could do the same and it's valid to do the same with the singer i mean i think labelle that that was where they would just score off the charts because Mm -hmm. what you have when they came together is that trio you know, they had already been singing together for all those years. So they had the harmonies down and everything. They knew how to work a crowd. They knew how to sing. And then you have this added influx of style and purpose because of the social messages of the songs. So I think you have this period of time, that five years or whatever, where they were absolutely, all three of them were at the peak of, of their artistry and sort of the peak of their collaboration. And, and, and in that way, they were also very influential in terms of you know, just the style of them. And like we talked about the outfits and how that later went to Kiss and Parliament and everything like that. And that's, to me, is all related to the artistry because artistry is about having a sense of who you are creatively. And I think they had been in the business for so long and been kind of like struggling for so long when they finally got Vicki Wickham to have that idea and they finally came together with this common purpose. You know, the artistry and the skill is just off the charts. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it can be overstated that you had someone like Nona Hendrix who was writing a lot of the material, which maybe wouldn't be expected for, for that era and that genre, but. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, they, they would say people would always look for the mister behind them because they even had like mm-hmm. a woman, a woman was their attorney. So there was no, they would go to these meetings and people would be like looking for like, uh-huh. there must it. be a guy somewhere <laughs> in office, but their manager was a woman, their attorney I was a woman, They're like there was no. It mr behind them anywhere and you know they said that that limited their career because a lot of times you know in those record industry meetings and stuff 
usually when the women come in, that's kind of, they would say that was like the party favors at the end of the meeting where they were actually the women at the meeting doing the business and there would be no women coming in as party favors afterwards. So, all right. Are we ready for our last category? Maybe the most important category, which (laughs) is, does my mom know who they are? And I asked her, I was, I was pretty sure she would. And she said, yeah, although she, she did go Patty. So that's the thing is I think the, the LaBelle name is strong on a few levels. And I think, she is such an icon and someone everybody knows that you say LaBelle and maybe the average person doesn't know that it's necessarily a separate group. They know on a maybe vague sense what you're talking about. My mom definitely knows who they are. She grew up in the 70s. Yeah, I th- My mom I th- bought the Nightbirds album. So <laughs> like, yeah. we didn't yeah. even know. So she knows. <laughs> yeah. So she knows. Yeah, I, I think the, the kind of cultural resonance is, is still there, which is important. I think they have permeated the culture in a, in a meaningful way. Okay, it's time for the verdict. Should they be in the Rock Hall? Will they be in the Rock Hall? And if so, when? And we'll start with Kristen. This is a really hard one for me because, you know, I'm like, A, we need to be inducting more women and we need to be inducting more people of color. So we especially need to be inducting more black women. And this is three of them and they're all still alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, boy, I would love to see that happen. I don't know, though, that we've made the case today unfortunately. And like, I hate that. I've like really appreciated everything we've learned today. And I've really, I think I'm going to dig into their music more after this, especially I'm interested in more of the kind of like social justice oriented music that they were putting out and kind of that stuff. But I don't know that they qualify for hall of fame. I think that Patty herself is an icon. I think their music is important, but you know, we kind of went through the categories and I, I'm glad to know more about them. I'm glad to be here with an expert, but I don't, I mean, wow. I hate, I hate, I, and it's like not (laughs) even, this is like, and also I'm like, put them all in, you know, like, right. Of course. I mean, I I respect, I respect the uh, attempt to be objective. Which is fucked up. And honestly, I hate it. I really don't (laughs) like it. I in, uh, you know, they could be in the hall of fame in my heart for sure. Oh, I really, I'm just like, ew, who even am I? But, and I don't think that they, I don't think they will be. I, I don't see it, especially if we can't even get Shaka Khan in the damn Hall of Fame. I'm like, the, the odds are not looking good for uh, the Blue Bells, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know. They're giving uh, us blue balls for the exactly. Blue Bells. Boo. I'm sorry. More like Boo Bells on that joke. <laughs> boo smells. Um, anyway, uh, unfortunately, I don't think that, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to happen for, for our sweet LaBelle. For Patty and the girls. Okay, Craig, do you want to go next? Uh, sure. I think that, um, what was the question again is whether or not I think they deserve to be and then whether or not I think they will be. That Should was, and uh, will. And if, if so, when? And if so, when, yeah. Um, I think that in most cases like this, in, in particular in their case, an argument needs to be made based upon their entire output as LaBelle, including the social justice stuff and everything like that, that is not readily available to most people or in any of the most rock critics, most music critics. So 
if they do, <laughs> and it's going to sound really, if they do get in, I think it will be after maybe like my book comes out and it's kind of like an argument that's a succinct argument. You know, and I'm not even saying that to like, but but like sometimes those things, an argument has to be made to get people to understand the importance of something. Um, Also, Jessica Hopper is writing a book about women in 1975 that deals with, it's called No God But Herself, I think, that deals with Shaka Khan, Joni Mitchell, and LaBelle. So I think once that comes out and people are starting to make those connections... And if they make a documentary about it exactly. or a HBO so I think, series, then we're looking. Then exactly. So I think really just an argument has to be, I, to be made. I don't think it's enough in just the overall consciousness, pop consciousness right now. The for them to, Yeah, exactly. For them to get in. Do I think they deserve to get in? Definitely. Because I think that if you talk about people that took this thing called rock and tried to do something different with it and tried to evolve the form of it, in this case to include, because you know, you're talking, talking about this white male thing, this white male thing that was constructed as rock. And, you t- and you're talking about three people that came in completely from the outside, you know, on both gender and race, and tried to do this unique thing with it and tried to use this as a form of self-expression. And for all that they were trying to do, they did manage to get one hit single. I mean, you know, coming from being so against the odds, that's actually like a huge accomplishment, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. that they were ever able to turn this crazy, you know, socially conscious silver spacesuit wearing thing into something that actually translated into the mainstream. So I see that as more like that's a huge accomplishment and something that really should have never worked based upon the social constraints of the time. So I think for that reason, in talking about people that bravely evolved this thing that we call rock, I think that they would deserve to be in because of that. I think they should. I feel while they don't do great in some of the categories, they do have a classic album to their name. They do have critical acclaim. They do have insane amount of influence and artistry. And I think they are an important link in the story of rock and roll and popular music. And I think to remove them would significantly alter what would come after it, which I think is, is a good way to think about if they are Hall of Fame worthy. I also think- well, Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Just really quick though. Where were you talking about this link when we were talking about <laughs> the, the influence? Okay. I'm like, tell me about this link. I'm happy to hear. <laughs> I'm over here being the one saying, no, this is not feel comfortable for me. You got to no. tell me what is this link? You did. I mean- you just you I'm come over the here. Now. You say the link now. Okay, I'm leave saying me the out link to now, dry. I, yeah, Kristen thinks there should be less black women in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, kill me. I don't know. It's just a thing I've said a lot. Is induct the divas, and <gasps> I'm gonna shut the. I'm gonna shut my computer. I Kristen has left the Zoom. Um, <laughs> anyway, I do think when you consider Patti LaBelle as an artist and someone to put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a foundational, important, influential singer. LaBelle was the introduction of Patti LaBelle to everyone, to the world. And I think that's important to consider. And I think we've said it over and over again, there is just what they were able to accomplish. And first black vocal group on the Rolling Stone cover, first black vocal group to perform at the Met Opera House. Like there are certain things that they broke through and they have serious rock cred. They opened for the who. 
things that were not talked about during our discussion, (laughs) he is taking into account and making the case with. Okay, I just want our listeners to know that I was, you know, (laughs) they know. I'm going on what was said. Okay, not what not not Joe's secret research that he's coming out here to tell us about. (laughs) Moments are meant to be like your your final case, like your final, you know. And so I can't introduce new evidence during your, you know, closing argument uh, argument. at any rate. (laughs) Yeah. I I think it is true that we might. So I think they should get in, in terms of will, I, there may have to be something like you said, Craig, with the, with the zeitgeist and us getting to a point. I do think the Gladys Knight, Patty LaBelle versus was a step in that direction, I think when people, and I know, I know so many people watch that and it was, it's such a display of just uh, legendary women. And I think to look at that and go, Oh wait, Gladys Knight is in the rock hall, but Patti LaBelle isn't. To me, I think Patti LaBelle probably has a better chance of getting in first than LaBelle does. And I think they would kind of throw the, the LaBelle stuff in the patty pot um, which probably was cooking a lot of yeah, the nice patty things. Pie, the patty yeah, the patty pie. The patty pie. Then yes. they would separating the LaBelle part, I, part. I think they would do kind of like the Nile Rodgers chic thing to her. Interesting. Where, like Nile Rodgers would be nothing without chic. And even most of his, you know, early, most of the rock productions that they sort of laud him for included the chic band. You know, it was yeah. just like produced sure. by Nile Rodgers. But because you know, I guess them thinking some of those criteria, like in terms of classic albums and just all of those kind of stuff, they, they thought that now it was better to separate Nile Rodgers from his band. And I think that they would probably do that with Patti LaBelle, think that there was more of an argument for her longevity and her influence as a vocalist and yeah. things like that. And that the LaBelle represented a really kind of revolutionary moment in her career. But I think that they would probably more likely celebrate her and her longevity the kind of things that were brought up during the verse yeah for sure but this is also the rock hall is a group that is really digging its heels in on rufus versus shaka khan and like they put chic on the ballot 11 times so (laughs) while they may eventually relent and i do think they would at the very least try labelle as a group first because that's the iteration of patty that is more credible from an artistic level and yes, that's the, very true. the body of work is is stronger from even just a rock perspective yes but you're right yes. it, it, it is it does seem split in terms of like what would be more likely and how would the voters respond i would think and i would hope that they would try labelle as a band first because that might be the iteration that has the most merit I think some iteration is going to happen. I'm curious to see where we go now in a post-Whitney induction rock hall because you could go forward or you could go backwards. You could go Mariah next and you could you, you'd marry mm-hmm. Jay and you could go down that route or you could reverse Dionne Warwick. And consider Dionne Warwick, consider Roberta Flack, and consider Patti LaBelle. And I, I think those, those are three like OG divas that have to be considered seriously. And none of them have been on a ballot before. I wonder if Shaka is that like roadblock that like to, gotta, to gotta get, get through. Shaka in. You gotta get 
Shocker. But I do think it's a disservice, uh, especially with, with those three women, that they have not been on a ballot in any shape or form. But I, th- I think you're exactly right. I mean, Whitney kind of breaks something in that, you know, in terms of how you think about rock, just even stereotypically, there's really nothing like that was traditionally rock about Whitney's presentation mm-hmm. ever. I mean, maybe she wore a leather jacket and like the greatest love of all video, but that's pretty much it. Um, you <laughs> the know, most rock and roll of her catalog. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, Shaka in Rufus is so obviously in conversation with the rock bands of the time and LaBelle in the same way was very much a part of that rock conversation whether or not they were accepted by the rock community and the rock audience or not so i mean we'll we'll see i think i i could see labelle on the ballot in the next five years i also i think there i god i just i just hope i mean it's really hard to tell it could also straight up never happen but i think it's i get the sense that within the next five years she's at the very least gonna appear on the ballot and you know i would think that they would do well if on the ballot but also I've been surprised before. Yeah, I'm like if they, uh, I, I'm like just set the expectations at zero. Just well, let's. Why don't we pretend like Labelle is getting in to the Rock Hall? Okay, so I, I would say there's no real discussion about who is inducted with them. It's Patty. It's Nona Hendricks. It's Sarah Dash. Cindy Bursong was. She was no. part of the, she's part of the she blue left. bells. She can, she never wore a silver outfit. So she can, she, yeah, you know. take a hike. Uh, it's it's kind of sad. She did not get inducted with Supremes. So she did? which she maybe didn't? she should have, but like she came a little later in their career. Like they still were having hits, but it's not like the, the main, like the Florence Ballard era. I think if the, if the Supremes Cabrels were inducted, is in the Rock Hall, Cindy Birdsong <laughs> should be in the damn. Rock You're right. Hall. I think if the Supremes were inducted recently with the way they handled band members, they would have included her. But yeah, that, that's some old like that because the Supremes got in relatively early. Oh yeah, they? like the and so that was back here. when they were probably had Purist, all sorts yeah. of like yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. But let's talk about who gives the speech to induct LaBelle. Erica Badu or Solange. Ooh. Those, are your, those are your picks. Yeah. Do you I get, think they I would think... show up? I don't think they care about the Rock Hall. I'm like, <laughs> I think I'm they would for LaBelle. Badu showing up and. <laughs> In terms of who the Rock Hall would choose, I can see either. Go get Mary J back. <laughs> Mary, I mean, Mary J loves. She's... Uh, she loves Patty LaBelle, um, and she also has. She's done a lot with she's the Rock been Hall. At the Rock Hall. She's inducted people times. before. Yeah. I think Gladys Knight. Uh, as a you know peer is someone who could do it i think you kind of have to start from patty and like her circle to find the people i mean mariah carey is very close uh to patty labelle she's her like a a adopted goddaughter you do not want to count on mariah carey you don't want to i know it was a different era (laughs) but uh mariah inducted gladys knight and the pips but that was like back in 96. So yeah, know, it's a d- different time Height of her powers, different time. You don't want to do it. If we go outside the music world, which sometimes they do for inductors, someone who's very close to Patti LaBelle, who gave the speech when Patti got a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame was Whoopi Goldberg, which could be, she'd you be know, good. yeah, she'd be, really, fun. She'd, she'd be perfect because she kind of was that sort of like, you know, kind of alternative, person during that time during the 70s you know are you saying she's the labelle of comedy no i'm just saying that she was surprised she's you know sort of like 
I could see her being, you know, wh- like when I grew up, you were kind of like a weirdo if you were a black person that liked anything with like a guitar in it. Like it was mm-hmm. even sort of a long trajectory where it was kind of like safe to like like Prince mm-hmm. once he started being kind of rock oriented. So I always, but you know, every kind of black family always had like one weird cousin that would kind of like sit up in their bedroom during Thanksgiving and play like some weird loud rock music. So I think of I think of Whoopi is kind of like you know, some okay. family's weird cousin that would listen listen to rock. You know, because it was kind of, it would kind of like make you an outcast. I don't know. That was a weird way of saying yeah. I think that would be a good idea. She would fit. Well, Labelle, I would assume if they got inducted that they would they would reunite and play. They've reunited since you know they broke up in the seventies. What songs do they play? They would get like a maybe a three or four song set. I think it's obvious they would play Lady Marmalade. That's you check that one off. I'm gonna pitch something. Go ahead. They open with the OG 70s disco Lady Marmalade. Then they do a couple of other songs. We'll talk about those uh, in a second. And then you close it out with Lady Marmalade 2K. You just you bring out they, the girls. You hear uh 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 from the back. <laughs> well, Kim's coming out. You've got them all. You M- Maya, her calendar is empty. She's ready to do it. Like it, this is you could make it happen. It could be and also 90s nostalgia, like late 90s nostalgia is at an all-time high. People are craving it. You do it. I'm this that's where the ratings are. I guess is what I'm saying. I think that's a pretty good idea. Um, or you do, and then you do Lady Marmalade 2020. With all the, okay, okay, here we go. <laughs> and you do Lady Marmalade 2020. You've got Janelle Monet in. You've got, uh, who else do you get in there in the new, it, would you do in the 2020 Lady Marmalade? I'm like, who's gonna, you get. Do you uh, throw Ariana in there? Get Ariana in there, obviously, yes. Yeah, you got Ariana, you got Janelle. Then you need kind of like the. Uh, the, the bad girl. Right. The bad girl. And then you need the kind of like nobody. And, and I don't mean that in a mean way. But like you need right. kind of like a um like a like a rapper. You need someone to be the little Kim and then you need so I guess you could get like a um Megan Cardi. the Stallion. Or, or Megan Cardi. the Stallion's probably better, If you get yeah. Megan the Stallion, then whoa, I'm like so ready for this. But then I'm like, who's like the person whose career could really use uh, a lady mark? Not just like I know I'm shading Maya's so hard, but like she just was. <laughs> we she get was it. Like, yeah, she, she stuck was out. like by by far the least famous of all of those people, and she has had the the least like big to happen career, later. But yeah. Objectively, and yeah. I, just mm-hmm. objectively, I mean, I think "Case of the X" is a great song. I think "Ghetto Superstar" is a great song. Um, but uh, okay, but, but who's like that right now? Like, who's the person who's just like on the edge? Who's the like? the Shia LaBeouf that they're trying to serve to us all the time. They're telling us that we like them. Halsey? Like, Halsey. I'm sure she's really popular, but I don't know her very well. So I'm going to say Halsey, and that sounds good to me. Craig, do you feel, do you have <laughs> hey, any thoughts or feelings? Yeah. I don't know that much about, out of it. I don't know that much about Halsey's music. but I don't either, but I think that sounds good to me then. I think yeah, that's I mean, a really I mean, good... I think it would definitely work for the Rock Hall because it would be the type of... I mean, I do watch enough award shows to know that she's often in attendance and often performing. So so that's so there we go. So, that, so that's three of their songs. It's Great. just Lady Marmalade three, three ways. There you go. <laughs> Craig, what do you, what do you think Sorry, they should... Uh, what would, would they or should they play in addition to Lady Marmalade at an induction? Probably like What Can I Do For You from Nightbirds. Um, mm-hmm, which is their second biggest hit. Yeah, which they once did with Cher. So there's that. 
and I think they also did on the Diamond Shore show. But that, and then Cher I would, would say, come out? <laughs> perhaps Cher could in, maybe Cher could introduce. Cher could, Cher could yeah. Induct them, yeah. Yeah, but um, that's a great performance, by the way. If you haven't seen, it's all over YouTube of Cher performing with them, and she does her own Bob Mackie version of their um, oh. of their spacesuits. Okay. But and then I would say like one ballad, probably like you turn me on. they did they did a miss otis regrets you know the classic show tune they did that like way back on one of their first albums but vicky didn't want it on there because she had said no more damn show tune so they didn't put it on that but they yeah. ultimately but like keith moon is playing on it and stuff and they released it on their um reunion album so that would be kind of like a way to be sort of like bluebellsy but also show how they transform the tune in kind of kind of a labelle way so that would be one way to do it And I think because it's a rock hall, and this could be in their regular set, or it could be a way to do it in the jam, they did a lot of covers of rock songs, like yeah. S- Something in the Air by yes. Thunderclap Newman. Or Won't Get Fooled Again by Won't The Who. Again. They had their own take on it, which feels appropriate if they were performing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. goes back to another reason for their induction in a way just in kind of what I was saying about taking what had been become rock and really transforming it and making it applicable to different situations because of course when they sing what won't get fooled again as three black women it's very very different than the original intention so again people from, from outsiders kind of taking this thing called rock and using it for their own purposes and using it in sort of a social justice type of way, I think that that is significant, even if it didn't necessarily produce that many or even more than one <laughs> top 40 hit. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, in the event that the pandemic is over and LaBelle gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, do you think you would go to the induction? No. <laughs> <laughs> I no. just have never cared. Like I'm, I'm also I'm working on two other books at the same time. Um, the first that's going to come out is a book about Janet Jackson. So I was very much wrapped up in the whole Janet thing, and I've interviewed her a number of times for Vibe magazine and stuff. And I'm a huge fan. Had no, had no interest in going to. Well, and she didn't was, perform. Well, yeah, was... and I was perfectly just happy to sit back and watch it on HBO. So, yeah, I don't know. Because it's not even, even if they perform, it's like 15 minutes, and then you have to sit through all those other people that you don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I have I know. no interest in going to a Rock Hall induction ceremony, unless, for some reason, like, if somebody's just going to 
pay for me to go and like fly me there. It was some kind of a junket. I, I mean, I wouldn't refuse it. I mean, especially uh-huh. after being you know, stuck in all year, or whatever, I'm looking for any opportunity. You'll to get take out a trip house, to so. Cleveland yeah, of course, <laughs> over you know, not but... a trip to Cleveland. <laughs> exactly. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry. Well, if they get inducted, Kristen and I will go and we'll, we'll, text you videos and stuff from yeah, FaceTime. we'll yeah. be there no matter what so it doesn't matter who gets in or whether i care about them or not i will uh, be there well, <laughs> <laughs> well craig thank you so much for joining us we really thank you uh, for having me this was excellent um you mentioned the books you're working on i want to give you an opportunity to plug the books that you have that are out that you can plug and people can buy now or anything else you'd like to plug your social media whatever yes okay great well um what you can buy now, you can, if you're interested in Luther Vandross, I think I mentioned him, and he was the first president of the Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells fan club. I have a biography of Luther Vandross called Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. I'm putting the finishing touches on a Janet Jackson biography called Control, The Life and Art of Janet Jackson, which will be out very soon. After that, I'm working on, I just signed a deal to do a book on 90s R&B that's going to kind of look at the entire decade. Um, of 90s R&B and talk about like the evolution of the different sounds from New Jack Swing to hip hop soul to neo soul to Maya. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like you, this is like, that's my, 90s R&B is like one of my personal favorite uh, oh great! So that'll be out on music. Chicago Review Books. Um, and I'm from Chicago, so oh, okay, I, double, wow. I double like it. <laughs> okay, and then after that, will <laughs> be this 33rd and third book on LaBelle's um, Nightbirds. And if people want to keep in touch with me, because that's a lot to keep up with, I'm mostly active on Twitter, and it's at Craig's Pop Life. And then I send out a weekly um, Substack letter which updates people on like what I'm doing and um, like when this comes out, I'll tell people, Hey, check out this podcast. So <laughs> you can sign up and, that, and that's just substack.com slash Craig's pop life. Nice. Sounds great. Awesome. Uh, and you can of course follow us at rock Hall pod on Twitter and Instagram rock Hall pod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see that you're going to need to designate that somewhere in your message, subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, rate and review us five stars. Only any other review really isn't helpful. And it's kind of rude. We want to thank Mike Lloyd for the logo. We want to thank Yusu Kim for the music. And we want to thank Pantheon podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 